section fourteen of mrs diamond this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org mrs diamond by anne isabella thackeray ritchie book two chapter six prince hassan's carpet where though i by sour physician am debarred the full fruition of thy favours i may catch some collateral sweets and snatch sidelong odours that give life charles lamb there are places in london where without crossing the channel and by merely walking in at a doorway you find yourself as in some fairy tale suddenly whisked off a hundred miles from home into some new world and state the language is different the faces are different so are the gestures and the very clink of the glasses and plates as the waiters come and go the chickens and vegetables the fishes and sauces all taste of a different tradition you are no longer in england no longer among english people the guests come walking out of balzac and georges sand carrying french newspapers in their hands which they buy at a little shop close at hand which also looks as if it had been caught up bodily from some paris street corner monsieur fourchette's establishment in kirk street is to be known by its trim and well-kept appearance there is a bow-window over the low doorway and various hospitable inscriptions inviting you to enter the host himself prosperous and friendly stands in the doorway and welcomes you the coffee-room has surely been transported all complete with its flies and gilt-looking glasses from the other side of the water there sits the dame du comptoir established behind her piles of oranges and monster pears the gilt-looking glasses reflect the flies the people coming and going and the lovely lady together with the old grey parrot on the counter perching in his brass cage and winking his wrinkled eye at the company a door at the farther end opens and shuts perpetually revealing a glimpse of a white cook over a bright fire and busy kitchen maidens hard at work and you recognize the cheerful sing-song refrain de pomfrite en beefteck en avant la matelote etc etc varying with the hour the man and the appetite there are english people here of course for the little place is well known and deservedly popular you may find clerks and their wives dining economically there sits an anglo-indian home on furlough and hospitably entertaining his family there sit popkins and tomkins giving themselves airs at an opposite table the kind little head-waiter can hardly content them or supply their demands next to these are two old generals from the senior sabretage club sharing a bottle of port but a considerable number of the guests seem to have come from across the water with the rest of the establishment there are solitary individuals with mustachios out of the louvre henri the fourth henri the third francis the first are all to be seen in turn some study the carte with a lordly air as if it was the magna carta others read their newspapers folded into neat squares like napkins while others again habitue of the place 
fat men chiefly with chains and prosperous waistcoats settle down leisurely nod to the waiters and order their meal with intelligence and deliberation there are sometimes strange aspects of life to be seen at fourchette's establishment tragedies among the champagne bottles and the comfortable clatter and overflow of good things yonder is a woman with death in her face she laughs and quaffs her cheeks are painted red but her hollow eyes haunt one across the cheerful place presently enter two male beings with mysterious strides cloaked and with sombrero hats which they fling aside as they throw themselves down in tragic attitudes at the first vacant table fish salad and an omelette seem the results of their sombre consultation at the adjoining table sits a neat little old man the very contrary to the eccentric type with a blue wandering eye a high forehead and a well-kept grey beard who has ordered a cutlet and a cup of coffee and who seems absorbed in a packet of manuscripts while he waits for his meal he is soon served his requirements being small but the next dinner is laid for two and claims much more of the waiter's attention glasses of different shapes bottles of various sizes are already set out the champagne stands ready in its ice the donor of the feast one of the stout middle-aged men i have already described sits impatiently awaiting his guest who arrives at last coming up the crowded room with a quick swinging step looking about as he advances the guest is max du parc who walks in with a certain air inherited from his grandfather the tanner at avignon which makes people look up and remember him he stops short for an instant with an exclamation as he threads his way for he catches sight of the quiet old man with the manuscripts who has already finished his cutlet and is leaving the place in reply to max's greeting the old man puts out his hand with a smile says a few words and goes his way while max at last joins the impatient host whose temper is bubbling over like the champagne and who receives him with a late very late the wine will be too much iced pardon sire pardon cries du parc gaily quoting from some opera then in vogue i have been at work until the very last moment upon your business i wanted to bring you my calculations completed and first of all let us dine says the fat man relenting into a confidential imperative as he tucks his napkin neatly into his coat talking his native french meanwhile i have ordered bisque salmon fricando a la zuelle champagne help yourself monsieur du parc with pleasure says max looking round especially now that monsieur caron is gone he does not approve of champagne was that caron jules caron interrupts the fat man with some interest the impossible philanthropist l'homme au moulin avant they call him the windmill man eh? yes that is jules caron said max laughing i suppose i am one of his windmills he has spent his money and his time upon me and i am afraid he has had but small return as yet for his trouble by the way there is one thing monsieur haas i want to say to you which i may as well mention at once the more i go into the details of your proposal the more it attracts me but the more i feel convinced that you do not calculate upon the length of time required to do any sort of justice to the work thank you no more champagne just at present it is excellent not over iced i am glad i have nothing to reproach myself with and max finished his glass looking handsome and confident as usual 
the cooking is good here the champagne of excellent quality says monsieur haas he was an editor and a dealer in prints in paris and london now as to business lowering his voice i had contemplated publishing three quarto volumes of which a certain number are to be printed in bistre ink on old verger paper with about forty typical illustrations some etching some engraving in each and then followed a long technical discussion of procès this procès that prices sizes copper plates steel plates electroplates and the possibility of photographic engraving which it had not then made the strides it has done of late years all this enlivened by agreeable interludes of fish flesh fowl more champagne coffee liqueur the stout editor was anxious to bring out an illustrated catalogue of art treasures in england which was to take its place with other similar works already published by him in paris this catalogue was to include a critical description of the chief pictures in the national gallery and in certain well-known country houses with illustrative engravings the champagne dinner was perhaps intended to make up for a somewhat shabby scale of payment for max was a well-known and experienced engraver and an etcher of some mark i am ready to offer you the preparation of two of the volumes said monsieur haas with a flourish as he insisted on filling up the young man's glass you have a delicate hand a pronounced taste if i tell you in confidence that certain persons in high quarters at the tuileries have interested themselves personally in the production of these volumes you will understand that i am anxious to see the undertaking carried through well and honourably and i need not add that i know you will do us credit of course i can do you credit if you make it worth my while says du pare but i must live i must earn my living the work you suggest represents at least two years hard labour such work must be up to a certain standard and unless it is carefully done it is worth nothing at all i could not live for two years on the sum you offer much less treat myself to such good champagne he added smiling but why not have two standards said the stout man more and more confidentially finish up certain favourite pictures likely to take the public which could be put forward as examples say the venus of correggio the ariadne of titian etc etc as to the others we must not be too exacting or too severe in our criticisms here the conversation was interrupted for a moment by some newcomers arriving and sitting down at the table which caron had left vacant one of them called for soda-water and brandy and some cold meat and bread max looked round then he looked again he recognised the pale young man whose face had impressed him so sadly in the street an hour before it was a strange chance to come across him again and he was glad to see him with a friend a respectable reverend as max in his mind called all clergymen in black waistcoats the waiter brought the brandy and the soda-water and poured it out and the newcomer eagerly drained the glass but in a minute he started up crying out that the room was too hot too crowded was there no cooler place to be quiet in the waiter looked round and pointed through an open door to another room just across the passage come along mr white come along cried poor charlie excitedly rushing to the door and followed by mr white who took up his friend's hat and stick and hurried after him in short make up your mind continued the editor who had been talking all this time without noticing max's distraction there are plenty to undertake the work if you will not 
i tell you my feeling frankly said du pare again returning to his own affairs i like your proposal i have spent the whole day in the gallery and i am simply lost in admiration at the marvels it contains but continues the young man who has a dogged matter-of-fact conviction that a workman is worthy of his hire i feel i cannot give up so much of my time at the price you offer and as for sending out half-finished engravings it is against my conscience imperfect etchings are bad enough where the workman himself undertakes the responsibility of his misdeeds but to turn out a bad engraving a scamped mechanical copy to traduce a titian or a valasquez it is like a blasphemy against the spirit of art here is the list i made out to-day he continued and the time which each picture should take at the rate at which i can work look it over and see if any compromise occurs to you i will call upon you in the morning and meanwhile monsieur haas many thanks for your excellent hospitality and max gets up and to monsieur haas's unconcealed annoyance shakes hands warmly takes up his hat and wishes him good-night he is evidently in earnest that old fanatic caron has put him up to all these absurdities thinks the ill-used haas while du pare unconscious of offence nods once more and turns away as he turns he sees a letter lying by the chair where caron has been sitting max picked it up it was not however as he had for a moment feared part of caron's usual correspondence suggesting gunpowder and plot and police intervention with every dash of the pen this was an envelope belonging to the society for the organization of relief sealed and stamped and directed not in caron's careful calligraphy but in an unknown scrawling english handwriting to miss diamond tarndale a waiter came up as max stood reading the address the monsieur who had just gone must have dropped the letter he is in the other room said the man you will easily find him there was alas no difficulty in finding poor charlie he and his friend were standing in the doorway surrounded by a knot of wondering people mr white annoyed perturbed was trying to lead charlie away the poor boy seemed almost in hysterics the brandy had been too much for him acting on his excited brain it had completely upset him he had suddenly burst out laughing incoherently and talking nonsense he was bewildered giddy irritated at being followed by waiters napkins remarks he has been drinking says one of the two generals who was finishing his bottle of port i seem to know his face says the companion general staring through the open doorway at the showily dressed dilapidated-looking youth he is ill and has not been drinking cries poor mr white emphatically addressing max who came up at that minute holding up the letter oh thank you it is ours just post it will you and can you help me to get him out come along charlie you will be better outside said the kind man still holding him up max quickly came to their assistance and between them they got the poor fellow safe down the passage out into the street with its cool night sky thank you i shall take him home says the breathless curate as he beckoned to a passing hansom he has been upset and in trouble it is nothing serious good-night cries mr white regaining his composure cabmen drive to thirty-six jubal street and away rolls the cab with the pastor and the troublesome sheep inside as the cab starts off the generals having paid their bill come away lighting their cigars i remember that young fellow now says one of them it's young bolsover i've seen him at his uncle's in wimpole street are you going on to the sabretash to-night 
needless to say the generals were both going on to the club where they told the story and where in due time it reached the colonel's ears he was less annoyed than usual by his nephew's escapade he was more and more satisfied in his own mind of the wisdom of his own decision and not sorry that his decision should be so satisfactorily confirmed End of section fourteen